Welcome to the first episode of the WWIM podcast. I am your host, Dave McGrath. Before I introduce my first guest, I'd like to give a little background on how I came to be with this podcast. Uh, I want to say 2014, 2015. I'm a writer. I wrote for NaNoWriMo, which is the National Novel Writing Month. And I had all these women in my life that inspired me so much. I was like, I should write about these women. So for two years in a row, I did like two volumes of a book written, writing about women who inspired me, never published it. And then I had the thought that, well, that those stories of these women, that's just a little sliver, as our grandmother used to say, of their story. So a better idea came to my head to have these women on, let them tell their story, because I think that will be way more entertaining and a bigger provide a bigger picture of who these women are. So my first guest is the lovely, beautiful, smart, talented, empathetic, kind, my cousin, Katie O'Neill. Thank you so much for coming on, Katie. Hello. So tell us your story, Kate. Oh, my goodness. I was <laughs> so afraid a... that was going to be the first question. <laughs> uh, I'm Katie O'Neill. <laughs> Um, I grew up with my cousin Dave. We are the same age, yes. almost, although you are slightly older. A little bit. Uh, I am definitely the more mature one. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. By far. Yes. Um, I think you might find that a theme with all the women <laughs> that you interview. <laughs> um, I uh, grew up in Westboro, Mass., and live part-time in Westboro and part-time in Canada. Um, I have worked my whole career in nonprofit, um, and... I, my extracurricular activities involve uh, music and um, sometimes theater. Uh, what was it like growing up in Westboro as a woman? Uh, I can't imagine it was that different than growing up Westboro as a man. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, I will say, uh, I see a lot of changes in between Westboro then and Westboro now yeah. among women like in positions of power, especially like in the town mm -hmm. uh, and also in leadership roles, um, committees and all sorts of things like that. I, I see women definitely taking more uh, ownership over that than yeah. before. I'm, and we both grew up with very strong, <laughs> you know, our mothers and our grandmother, mm -hmm. very strong, like role model type women and um comment yeah. on that i or? don't know if they would describe themselves like that yes but, but we well, saw but, them as yes that. we yes, did we yes. did um i i think that all three of them would say me <laughs> <laughs> um but i i do think especially because in our families um both our dads worked a lot yeah worked at long hours um and you know the moms were there when we woke up when we went to bed <laughs> um in between all day long and so that sort of consistency constancy um yeah presence was was really important um to all of us i would say and to them as yeah. their i mean there's no denying we were the center <laughs> of their universe <laughs> <laughs> poor katie poor katie had to grow up with me as a, she had to deal with kid dave adolescent dave what what was that like i'd say adult dave is probably my favorite <laughs> <laughs> um but in general um i i Every family needs a Dave, <laughs> and I, 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 especially when we were little. Yeah. I think you were the source of a lot of fun. <laughs> you certainly were uh, the leader of the young of, of our two younger brothers yeah. uh, in, in terms of finding fun things to do. <laughs> you were the founder of Eve Eve activities, <laughs> um, and I, I am actually I was thinking about this the other day. I am the 
exact middle because there's three of you that are older than me and three right. that are younger than right. me in our combined families. And uh, it's the only place I'm ever a middle child. <laughs> but um, I, I really enjoyed I I enjoyed having contemporary cousins. Um, I think Way more than I did. I only have two first right. cousins. Right. I have more siblings than cousins, which is most people That's can't say. Right? Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or is it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I have um I have twelve on the, on my other side. Yeah. So wow. There's a lot of you. There's a lot of you. Um, and I I enjoy it. I'm yeah. the oldest cousin on the other side, and so I'm. Well, it's a little different dynamic than <laughs> on on your side. One of the first Katie Dave stories that in my memory, I don't I don't really remember this. It's been told to us is the McDonald's parking lot story. So Katie and I went to McDonald's with our grandfather. And back then, this is so this is late seven mm. mid 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 to late seventies, he parked the car, left us, we were like three or four, I, I'm I'm guessing yeah, the yeah. age. Yeah. Uh, we could barely walk and talk. He left us in the car, went in to get McDonald's, and Dave thought it was a great idea. Well, why are we waiting in the car? Let's just walk across the parking lot and go into McDonald's. And there's our grandfather waiting in line. Sees both of us, do 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 do, walking across the parking lot. Of course, he flips out, comes and gets us. And then me being the responsible one, I blame Katie. I said it was her idea, which it was not. <laughs> that story was retold no, to us many times. I have no memory of it. I don't know whose idea no, it was. <laughs> it's probably I, both of ours. I'm sure we it. said, hey, well, that 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 what sounds are we doing good. Here? Our hamburgers are in there. We probably wanted to go to the um, the playground. Yes, that McDonald's yes, playground yes. was right? rock solid, awesome. Right? Yes, and that's actually still a McDonald's, although the Friendlies that was next to it is now a bank. Right. Tra yeah, I spent a lot tragic. of high school years in that Friendlies. We did. Mm. We did. We well, the tradition for me in high school would be watch. We would go to Friendlies. Mm -hmm. We'd go somewhere, then go to Friendlies, and then go to your house to watch SNL. Like we did yeah. that many, many, many times. That happened a lot. And we weren't. I don't. Like my high school crowd, I, we weren't part. At least I was not a partier in high school. I don't know if anyone. I I remember maybe a couple times at, at your house, maybe someone showed up drunk, but that never drinking at no. a party I went to. I never went to like a kegger in high school. I never went somewhere where people were drinking alcohol, which I don't know. It's kind of unusual for a high school to go through four years. Well, like I put it this way, like. I didn't drink in high school. Like chemotherapy was my gateway to alcohol. Like that, I went a weird route to alcohol. <laughs> that is the non-traditional route for sure. Yeah, no, we didn't. We weren't. Part, first of all, I would have had no idea how to get booze. Yeah. Um, back then, I had no interest either. For some, I don't know why. I just had no interest in it. I thought, well, it makes you do stupid things, and it makes you do be stupid. So why would I do that? I also felt like we were always very busy activity wise in terms of like our evenings were full. Like we were yeah. doing, we were going to the movies, we were going to Chalkies, we were going well, all over the place and, to do things. Well, it's funny, like to explain to kids nowadays, like back then, someone will come up, come up with an idea. Let's go to the movies, let's go to Chalkies. And then, so your options were either do that or nothing. Like, like, cause you'd call up people, well, this is what we're doing. So your options were you couldn't text anyone to be like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it was that or nothing. And that's what we did. Oh, actually, speaking of not chalkies, but another, um, I don't know if you don't remember this. So Katie and I were members of SYF, the youth group of our church. You remember this. So we would do things for the community. We would 
do fundraisers for St. Luke's, but we'd also do the fun activity. You got to, you know, when you have a youth group, you have to promise them something fun as a reward. So one of these trips was to the uh, bowling lanes in Shrewsbury, right? Mm -hmm. Now, me and our friend, my friend Mike Bosch, we were part of this, and we were left behind. I don't know if you remember At this. the bowling alley? Yes. No. You, the, the group, so there were like, you know, I don't know, four adults in charge with four cars or five cars or whatever, and someone did forgot we were in their car, and me and Mike Bosch had to call his parents for them to come in. And of course, like... It's so funny, like thinking of this, because I think in my memory when it happened, I was like, "This is the worst atrocity that anyone could bestow on you know me and Mike. How dare you know?" When you look back at it, it's like, "Well, you just call someone to come get you. It's no big deal." But like your your teenager mind, like, how dare this injustice of like? <laughs> I'll tell me. you one thing. I bet I wasn't even on that <laughs> because I would never. I would have been like, "Where's Dave?" <laughs> <laughs> who had Dave in there? Right. No, I have no memory of that. But that, and then, that, that does not surprise me. No, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why those, I enjoyed SYF for the most part. I mean. It was very good, wholesome fun. Yeah. In general. Um, there was drama. There was always drama. Oh, of course. Um, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of us that did it. Yeah. It was a, it was a there were, well, it was a social, was you know, social. and that's why most of us did it, right? The social yeah. aspect, which I think why a lot of people go to church in general sure i mean enough. i did not i cared more about hanging out with my peers than jesus i hate, hate to say it sorry okay. sorry I jc I don't think but <laughs> no, yeah i think i think part of it was it was a good way to um engage with your peers that you might not normally engage with at school or right. in your other right. activities so it was kids that well, didn't and, always know and for you yeah i i went to catholic high school um, I was, I don't want to say I was forced to, I was strongly encouraged. I would, I think the word would, <laughs> but, uh, Your legacy. but that's <laughs> right. But that's how I stayed connected with the Westboro kids. And I, I feel even now feel more connected to the Westboro kids than St. John's kids. Like there's nothing you, you should be very gratified when you come to the Westboro high school reunion <laughs> yes. and everyone's like, Oh, I thought you did graduate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. like they, they don't realize someone, that you weren't there. Someone I think it was. Dave Tufts was like, I swear to God, we had a class together. <laughs> nope, no, we did not. No, maybe so, CCD. So speaking of, we you went to Westboro, I went to St. John's. We both went uh, our first year. Went to college in Boston. That's right. I was at BC. You were at Emerson. Emerson experience. Oh, Great insanity. Um, here's the thing with Emerson. I was one of the only people I knew who had no tattoos and no piercings. <laughs> Um, and the only one who wasn't like intent on being famous, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they, they really pushed success as equaling fame. And, mm. and I was much more into learning right. things at college, um, <laughs> right? But I did have a really, really good experience in terms of meeting people from all over the world. Um, and doing a lot of shows that year, that yeah. one year. Yeah, that was, and what's really funny is I think there were five of us from our class at Westboro that went to Emerson. All five of us transferred out after that freshman year. Right, it was Dave Buffard. Yeah, you. Ellie, Celeste. Who was the other person? There was one other. Uh, I can't think of who it was, but. None of you stayed. No, no one stayed, no. Yeah, so. And went to St. Mike's. I went to St. Mike's in Vermont. Vermont, yes. Loved it. I did love yes. it. Yes, it was you know big fish in a small pond sort of scenario i mean it was bigger than westboro high <laughs> but it was not um it was not too ambitious for me um and that was a really good experience in terms of real academic 
Poli-sci? Yeah, Correct. I was poli-sci, yeah. Uh, I could have been anything. I mean, you know, when you're a liberal arts major, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Note down all you 17 to 18-year-olds. <laughs> if you go for a liberal arts degree, it does not matter what you major in. <laughs> right. Um, but I did. I found that at St. Mike's, the community, all the extracurriculars, just the sense of the the it being far enough away but not mm -hmm. super far away mm -hmm. i enjoyed all that and i love i love vermont yeah and graduated with aspirations to help the community help nonprofits. i guess so yeah i guess yeah. my i could never in my whole life imagine myself being motivated by money for a job right or, or motivated by well, good thing right <laughs> um being motivated by money or motivated by like a product or you know getting on a sales wheel oh. or any of that I, that just did not appeal to me yeah. even at a young age when i didn't know anything about right. anything I well that. right i mean my father was a cpa and i saw where what he had to dress like where he had to go and what he had to do and i was like no thing like and it's funny all five of us are like with our majors or what we did are so totally far away from that like yeah. no thanks yeah. yeah it's true um it's actually funny that my dad, who worked in computers and business for a really, really long time, actually at the end of his career mm. d does nonprofit right, now. Right. So I sort of brought him along the nonprofit route. Um, but yeah, I couldn't have imagined even at a young age of doing something that was significantly um, far away from helping people. What um, what age do you think you were at when you're like, hey, I can sing and I can sing really well and I can, I can even have do event, you know, do. A wedding or I would say I did not have great confidence in my own ability to sing until I was in high school yeah. it was um, I mean I did stuff before that and you know Players Club mm -hmm. and um, you did the junior high shows I did junior yeah high shows yes but it um, once I got to high school and it was especially it was Bill Papazisis the music director at the at Westboro High who like invested in me and in other students like me just this thought of you know this go yeah. do it and I, I i do not read music very well <laughs> i do not play an instrument <laughs> so i was i already had a couple strikes against me right um but he was the first one who validated like you can just be a singer oh, right and and get really good at that you don't and i was always feeling like but i should play an instrument but i should be able <laughs> to read and sight read and it didn't a hundred percent matter to him. Um, and, and then I started also getting some a little, a few private voice lessons for a few years. And that also really just trained me with fundamentals that, that, uh, helped me. And then in college, a lot more training and a yeah. lot more experience. And then like being on stage by myself, like being able to control the pace of the room yeah. or the pace of the show or that kind of thing that didn't come until, until college. And actually, um, the, I really learned how to do that on the altar, Ooh. not on the stage. So <laughs> I, when I was doing liturgical singing, um, you know, when you're at a, a liturgy at a mass, it's, it's very rote. It's, you do this, then you do this, then the priest does Without that, even you, thinking you, about it. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, it really is. It's, it's very, yeah. it's very controlled and very predictable and there's no room for improvisation. And right. for me, that was great. Mm. Right. Um, because I knew exactly where I fit into that. And then it wasn't until after I got really good at that that I felt comfortable enough to do things that were more unscripted. Yeah, well, it's funny because we both grew up exposed to Irish music. Mm -hmm. But it was, really wasn't until I was in my late 20s where I was like, oh, you can listen to Irish music 
not just around St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> I don't know if that was the s- similar for you or a little bit. I would yeah. say a little different, only because when I was very little. Oh God, we're really digging into, into the into the <laughs> oh. treasure trove here. Um, when I was in like second, third, and first, second, third, and fourth grade, I did Irish step dancing. Yes. Oh. Um, I was taught Irish step dancing by the meanest woman who ever crossed the ocean. <laughs> she was terrifying. Why? How are some like? There's just some people. I guess every op- occupation you have people that shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> This was she was one of them. Yeah, she really. I maybe she missed her calling. I'm not sure what it was, but it wasn't teaching small children. (laughs) Um, And she, we, I learned all the fundamentals from her, and I could still, I could probably stand here and do them today. They are that drilled into me. But um, she, I was doing that, and that was usually from like Christmas time until. April. It was okay. very intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. St. Patrick's Day. Right. We would go and dance. We, I would get out of school. Like I, I, wait, I maybe went to like three days of school in the month of March <laughs> when I was in second and third grade. We were everywhere. They had us dancing all over the place. You're still in Northboro back then. It with, was in Northboro. Yeah. yeah, it was. I still live in Northboro then. Yeah. And um, but that. So to me, that that is how I associated Irish music when I was little. And then when I got older, um, it was a little bit more. Like my dad would always be playing it in the yeah. car, or we'd be playing. There was, a, you know, a few radio shows back then you could listen to on the weekends, and we, that, it would be sort of in, infiltrated into that. But it, I was literally just talking about this the other day. It wasn't until I was in mid college that being Irish became cool. Mm. And the exact moment that happened <laughs> in the world was the Eurovision contest. I think it was 1993, maybe 1994, when they did Riverdance. Uh, and that was yes, when I was yes, like, Whoa, yes. what is this? <laughs> right. um, and I rode that wave for the okay, next yeah. you know, 35 <laughs> years. Um, but learning like real Irish music and getting involved in sessions and stuff mm. like that, I didn't really do that until 2000, 2001. Yeah, 2000, yeah. Yeah. And then eventually starting your own. Yep, session. and we started our own yeah. session. Um, I couldn't tell that you was mid, that was. I know in 2000, 2004 or five. It wasn't. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It might have been two thousand four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and we, that ran for twelve years. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That was so much fun. Those were fun nights. Glenn, our friend Glenn Goland, who we know, um, he he went to a couple of those, and he, he had, it blew his mind how there could be a five year old. And a seventy-five-year-old, and they just start playing a song, and they both know it. And they that, both know and it. The and five-year-old could be from Australia. Right? Yeah, yeah. And the seventy-five-year-old could be from somewhere <laughs> right. in Ireland and, or America, and they know the exact <laughs> same, same song. Like how that. to do it? What, what song comes after right. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They go because they'll go into a right, song. Right, yeah. right. The canon is yes, powerful. If, if you haven't been to an Irish session, you gotta. If you haven't been to an Irish session, yeah. I don't care who you are, yes. what your background is, if you like. You know, and we have we have people in our lives that are, I don't like that screeching fiddle music. It <laughs> it doesn't have to be that. It could be an accordion. It could yeah. be anything. Um, the live element yeah. of that session is yes. really a powerful thing. It's it's great. My one rule is always to if I played guitar and sang was to go before you. I never wanted to go <laughs> after you because it was just like, yeah, she's really good. I'm not. Stop. <laughs> no. I mean, you learned the guitar as an adult. I did. That yeah. is impressive. Yeah. Very few people can yeah. learn an instrument. Well, it's an any like like life, it's all about energy, right? How much energy you put towards a thing. And like learning an instrument is as long as you're doing it like ten minutes a day. If you set aside those ten minutes a day, you're just gonna get better and better. I don't know if you've ever read um Stephen King's On Writing. No. It's the best book about writing and that I've ever read. 
he goes through his process and he's like well writing is like exercise like if you do it every day your 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 muscle your muscle your writing muscle and it's just gonna and when i did those nano remos by the end of the month i was just like you know non-stop and that's i mean that's what it's like you know and i just said you know like i've said this many times the promise most important promises are the ones you make to yourself mm-hmm. i just promised myself i was going to learn this instrument and then glenn speaking of we've mentioned he taught me for free which helps <laughs> when you get free lessons was but, that before youtube youtube was just about so he i think he started teaching me in 2003 mm-hmm. so like right right before youtube or maybe youtube had just started but yeah yeah because there's so many i i still look at youtube to like how to string a guitar or how to like you know do stuff like that which yeah it's weird to think of we didn't have that back then was, oh my god there's so much we didn't have right even today i was planning out uh driving and i was like oh remember when i had to go and print out my map <laughs> quest or, or back in the when i first started driving i have an actual map yeah and like write down the exits that i need to when i graduated college me and some of my buddies drove across country we had an atlas we had no reservations. We had there were a couple places. Oh, we know that person there. We're gonna stay there. But we had we had Atlas. Yeah, we're gonna get there, and we did. Like, and it was fine. We actually had two walkie talkies to talk between cars, but like, and we did it somehow. We did it. You survived. You got there and back. <laughs> um, I know I was gonna ask you. So back to singing. So you've sung at some pretty emotionally intense places funerals for loved ones funerals for other people when you're doing that are you just in your mind like you're not even thinking about like the event you're at you're just focused on the song does your mind drift ever like hi i i because i've i've been at a few of these katie and i'm like how is she doing that right now i can't like how do you do that well it's okay so i will say again when I'm on the altar, yeah, it's I am, I am especially at a funeral. Like I, I am like a helper. I'm helping people with their grief. Like right. The song so, is, okay. Especially at a funeral mass, uh, this, the music is very powerful mm. for people, and it can evoke, you know, help them through this process. Um, but I said, I mean, I just sang at my grandmother's funeral. Mm. My God, love her. <laughs> grandmother died at age ninety-seven a few weeks ago. Um, this is what I was built for. Like yeah. the, this is my all my training, all yeah. my yeah. everything comes down to those moments when I can just stand up there and do it. And it it's it is a lot of it is just practice. Yeah. It's just I've been doing this for a yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. long time. I can put my own stuff aside. That's what I so you but right. I'm not but I'm there. Like mm. I'm there and I'm thinking about the people and mm. the and you know, we've chosen the certain songs for the person for the person who's dead and like trying to honor them and but the music, especially if I'm, you know, trying to lead people in song, I want, I want you to sing <laughs> along with me when we're doing this because this is part right, of the right, process. Right, this is part right. of the celebration. This is part of how we're moving this person from right. one place to another. Yeah. And I, I can, you know, you know me, I'm bossy. I, <laughs> I want everybody to do what we're supposed to right, do in right, that right. moment for that right. person. So. The end. Yeah, I mean, there have been some real clunkers. I I made a decision not that long ago. I am not singing Ave Maria ever again because <laughs> <laughs> I massacred it at a funeral I did during COVID. It was just, it was not good. Uh, so I'm taking that out of the room. Oh, well, there shot. you go. So it's not yeah. always, I mean, <laughs> also it's nice when it, I'm in charge of the music and I have total control over right. what we're doing, right. what key we're doing it in, right, where right. we're putting it in the mass. Like that's an ideal situation. People have come to you and say, I want this in this key. And you're like, sorry. 
Does that happen? Not, or no? not the not the person like that, the, the not, the, not the bride. The organist. Or the, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's the musicians. Uh, oh, I can't play this and that. Okay. Well, here it is. I wrote it down for you. And you <laughs> because you can change the way that this, you know, these keys are, or these strings are, but I can't actually change yes. the placement in my voice. Yes. Um, you mentioned Grammy O'Neill. You want to share any any favorite Grammy O'Neill oh, stories? Grammy she was amazing. She was amazing. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, in how many? How old am I? Forty-seven. How many forty-seven-year-olds still have their grandma? Right. Like, I'm so, I was so lucky. We were all really lucky. Um, she was fifty when I was born, right? So um, we had a lot of time together. Um, I'll tell you one crazy, crazy story. God, um, when I was little, until I was in my 20s i had pretty red hair like very red hair and the older i've gotten the browner it's gotten <laughs> and now it's go it come, yeah. getting really gray yeah. and white so well, whatever it's nature right <laughs> grammy introduced me to someone not that long ago this was within the last couple of years this is my eldest granddaughter kate she used to have beautiful hair <gasps> oh oh well she she tells it like it is that well, grammy o'neill <laughs> Not too emotionally damaged by that. <laughs> I did maybe get a highlight appointment yeah. not that long after, but like she, she just she was a great, great lady. She we really um, you know, when you get to know your grandmother, when you're an adult and your grandmother is an adult, it's right. like a totally different dynamic. It was she was a great. I became a her. huge Celtics fan she in her later she, years, which is so Celtics. funny. I think like, she was so anti-sports <laughs> yeah, forever, right? and then suddenly, oh, those Celtics. Was it a player? Like, do you know what sparked that? Was it a player, or was it? I think something might have. I think the initial spark was she wanted to have something to talk about with her sons and grandsons ah, and, and her son-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she thought well i'll learn about this and see if i can you know but then she really got into it more so than some of them so yeah she never stopped learning ever ever she would write she would read a book a book every few days right up until recently wow wow that's something i don't do enough is read i write a lot but i don't i need to read more i love reading yeah I read a lot. what are you reading right now um I just finished a really good book called The Year of the Plague. Oh, which, was it 2020? <laughs> yeah, it's actually about the plague. Like the, oh, no, it's not. I'm sorry. The Year of Wonder. That's what it is. And it's uh. about the the first plague in the 1500s. Um, a lot of parallels. <laughs> to the For, way that, was there a, an asshole leader that said it was going to be gone by Easter? Um, yeah, actually there was. <laughs> there was, truth be told. Yeah. <laughs> died a fiery death <laughs> let's speaking of let's plunge right into it politics politics oh. what's going on what's going on in the world can't we just all get along is there there's enough stuff in the world for everyone what's the problem uh the people who have stuff don't right want to share and there's it. right there's there and it's all about fear i don't want to i don't want change this is how i like it yeah and i think a lot of people have been raised by whatever by by per, on purpose or not to think to equate security and happiness with things yes and it's they, it's brainwashing right. it's not true well i also think it's just a lot of exposure people yeah. don't understand that you can be content you can be safe you yeah. can enjoy your family and your life without a lot of things <laughs> or money um and yeah i because I... bernie bernie sanders is he's always he's always tweeting out the you know how many how many men are in control of what percentage of wealth in the world mm -hmm. and it just every year gets worse and worse right mm -hmm. it's less and less and they control more and more so like that's what it's so funny like 
people will say, well, you know, they'll blame the president for this. And I'm like, well, yeah, but he's part of the, the president is a small part of the, until the mega rich or super rich change what they have, like what, what is actually going to change? Like, Yeah. I, I don't, without calling for a full on revolution yeah. <laughs> on podcast, um, I, I do think that there politics has almost nothing to do with it. It's right. all the economy. Yeah. It's, it's economics, right. yeah. not politics. Right. Um, politics is like the, it's like a distra distraction, right? It is. I mean, it, it, I think some people in power use politics yeah. as a distraction. Um, they capitalize on that. Right. But, but the, the injustice and inequity in the world, and I'm not just talking about America, the whole world, oh, right. um, is, is profound and yeah. almost irreversible. I don't, I don't know. You're going to have to have our, our friendly Ann in here to explain Speaking that Speaking of, um, was it Oklahoma that just recently changed abortion laws? Yeah. What, what the they hell? They made it illegal like, um, to perform an abortion. Yeah. yeah. Up to like 10 years in prison, I saw. Right. So there's like, like a huge like, section of the country now, I think, in the um, to Texas, Oklahoma, where you have to drive 150, yeah. 200, 300 miles to get services. Um and not just abortion services, like regular women's health right. services. So I don't, I don't, those, those issues, when you leave America, they are people outside of America, like completely nonplussed by this. They have absolutely no idea why we fight over abortion right. uh, or women's health. It just blows their mind <laughs> that this is a thing. <laughs> um, and it blows my mind that this is a thing right. still. Well, and some of those people are probably the people that are saying, you can't tell me that I need a vaccination. You can't tell me what to do with my body, but then I'm going to tell you what to do with yours. Like, it's, <laughs> I'm not saying there's any logic applied there, Dave. You're trying to apply logic for people for whom that has gone out the window a long time ago. Yeah. Is it, is it, does it go back to like fear and church and all that? A lot of it or what is it? I I think it has to do with control and power yeah. and yeah. very little to do with yeah. church. Yeah. I think just that's men, a byproduct. Men in control. Men of... in control, um, not understanding a lot of things and also misequating um, women's health with, you know, uh, misequating women's health with, with a... Um, a power struggle like how is this right. how did this ever get to be a, right. a debate right it's it's crazy like i i think a lot of people think well if if it's i don't know there's the the idea that if it's legal then you'll just keep that's all you'll do is just keep getting one over and over and over. Mm -hmm. and yeah i don't think it should be used as birth control but like i don't know i don't know what the answer Rare is, and, what? Legal is the answer. <laughs> and also empowering women giving them all sorts of different options so that they don't get into that situation yeah. in the first place. Well, I was going to say, like many things, it's about education, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. um, for, for both men and women. Moving right into um, any, I mean, so that's obviously abortion is a huge women's issue. What, what else as a woman in Westboro in the United States and Massachusetts? Pay differences? Yeah, I, I don't see that There's, as much in the nonprofit yeah. world. I yeah. would say, like, because you're mostly female. Yeah, yeah. Uh, women 
or have a, in general a lot of power in nonprofits. Yeah. Um, not always, right? And but yeah. nonprofits don't pay a lot, <laughs> right? Nonprofits don't pay. Although I will say that is getting better. Yeah. I've seen it over the years, not just because I've, I'm older and yeah. have different positions, but but also because. Um, the government invests in some of that fundamental stuff that helps prop up nonprofits so right. they can scale up right. and then fundraise yeah. and go for bigger contracts and all that. So. And part of it too, are, are would you say, are women generally drawn to less paying, like jobs that pay less? Is that part of it too? Like teaching compared to a business job? I think that that is still something generationally that we are trying yeah. to women are do women choose that or are they sort of guided right that, that's a great yeah. question I, right I, I we still see preschoolers who you know no um a man can't be a nurse mm -hmm. like at four years old they're mm -hmm. saying that mm -hmm. i'm like we're not we're not where, giving you that idea where did that come right from? yeah uh, my, when my nephew was little um i he loves school he has always yeah. loved school and when he was very little um I said to him, you know, have you thought about what you might want to do when you grow up? And he said, I don't know. I guess, I guess a school. And I said, do you mean be a teacher? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, there's no men's teacher. <laughs> and I was like, because of course in his it was right. preschool, there yeah. were no men right. in preschool. I said, of course there are. I was like, uncle Dave is a teacher. <laughs> Wait, well, what? Yeah, this blew his mind. Like he just yeah. didn't, he didn't know any and yeah. it didn't occur to him. And ever since then he's been talking about being a teacher. Oh, so, okay. you know, you know, um, I, I don't know if women are natural. I don't, I would say no, they are not naturally drawn towards nonprofit roles or right. teaching roles or anything like that. That's just. But also I will say that the nonprofit world, certainly more than the teaching world, um, allows for a non-traditional path for your career. Right. It doesn't, you don't have to like, you know, like you're not like a lawyer where you have to go in, you have to work for so many years and then you get made, you know, a partner or you have to yeah. move up the chain or in business, you have to move up the chain. Um, nonprofit allows a little bit more flexibility in terms of proving yourself in the role and then being able to acquire better jobs, more management skills, whatever. Speaking of some of your favorite nonprofit uh experiences you're currently working with an organization that uh with down syndrome yeah yes. so yeah, awareness or right now research um, yeah we do yeah. down syndrome um what we what do we have we, the phrase is we um accelerate research into the unmet medical needs of people with down syndrome um i've always worked in sort of the disability human services side yeah. of things um but i didn't know much about down syndrome um i there were two kids with down syndrome on my street growing up and that was sort of just my right. my understanding of that but um there's so much about down syndrome that i didn't understand like for instance in the 1960s someone with down syndrome their life expectancy was 10 years Whoa. so kids in the 1960s wow. with down syndrome died at age 10 partially because people didn't doctors and researchers didn't understand enough about down syndrome to be right. able to address their medical needs and then when we were growing up someone who was born in the 70s or early 80s their life expectancy was like 25 which was right on par with one of the people that we grew up with mm -hmm. with down syndrome yep. um because of a, a heart situation um that was very common in people with down syndrome and, and it was too big right Is it, that, I, I don't, or, I don't yeah. to be honest yeah. i don't even know exactly what it was okay but um uh, since then there's been a surgery developed for that um, in the beginning they would never perform that surgery right. on someone with Down syndrome not just because it was too risky but because they were like why would we raise surgery on someone who's gonna die anyway, right, right? right but now people with Down syndrome are living into their 60s and beyond right. we have the first generation 
of Down syndrome retirees. Wow, so to speak. that's yes, great it is news. Awesome. Yes, um, but unfortunately, because of of their di their Down syndrome diagnosis, um, people with Down syndrome have a ninety percent chance of acquiring a Alzheimer's diagnosis Ooh. by their mid forties to fifties. Wow. Um, so it's it's an early onset Alzheimer's. It impacts almost everyone with Down syndrome at, at one point or another over a range of many, many years. Um, and so my organization is trying to figure out why that happens, how to combat it, and to push researchers to research specifically the link with Down syndrome and Alzheimer's and how to address it. Wow. And w now within Down syndrome, mm -hmm. if there is there, you know, like autism has a spectrum. Would you say there's a spectrum or there's a, how would you describe there it? There are different, um, there are different, uh, ways that someone has the Down syndrome mm. diagnosis. Um, there are certain characteristics that are common to everyone with Down yep. syndrome, but then within that, yep. there's, you know, very little limit to a person with Down syndrome's, mm. uh, opportunity potential to do anything. Um, and so you'll see a wide, wide range of, of people with Down syndrome achieving all sorts of different things um, and self-determining what they see as achievement. I think, um, you know, we've talked about comparative how things were when we were kids and how they are now. I think it's so great that everything's like just out in the open. Mm -hmm. Like we talk about disease now. Like I, I always um, liken it to Voldemort, like, well, you don't say that name. Mm -hmm. Like that's how disease was. You'd say the C word mm -hmm. or the can't, you know, you didn't even right. want to talk about it. But like, or whether you're talking about disease or like, like abuse or whatever, the the more you don't talk about it, the more power it has. Hundred percent. And that's why it's great to have. Like when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, I never even heard of it. I was like, oh, I have this thing, like yeah, that I've never I heard, never of. heard of. It when right, you right. Oh. And now you see, you. I don't know. So you know, if I tell someone I have it, they usually not only have heard of it, they know someone that has it. Exactly. Right? So true. <laughs> So true. And I think that only serves to help all of us understand where other people are coming at, like yeah. w with whatever their situation is. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that's true too. I mean, 50 years ago, if you had a kid with Down syndrome yeah. or you had a kid with some other disability, you were often encouraged to institutionalize right. them. Oh, right. So, you know, that, thank God, first of all, <laughs> thank God we don't have those sorts of institutions right. anymore. Oh my God. But also that people have come a long way and those parents who, who refused that advice and who kept their kid at home, they are the warriors on this front. They yeah. made it possible. They made it necessary for the, for society to acknowledge their kid and right. to figure out, yeah, we're going to get a ramp in that school. And yeah, we're going to make sure that these right. things happen yeah. and all, and all that, all those battles that they fought over and over and over yeah. again. Um, and again, as far as Down syndrome, those parents who are now in their seventies and eighties, they fought a lot of fights yeah. they're tired and now their <laughs> kid has Alzheimer's. Yeah. Oh, right. Jesus. So there's, there's a lot of things that, and, and I'm, I'm using Down syndrome as an example, but it's true for a lot of different disabilities. Yeah. And when we were kids, we were, we were exposed to kids with disabilities. We interacted with them, mm -hmm. but they were for the most part, I would say separate. Mm hmm during the school day separate from us we come out yeah they come out during recess we talk to them but nowadays the pushes Full get those inclusion. kids around yeah and it's great mm -hmm. it's great i mean not only is it great for the kid with a disability it's great for the other kid the 100%. other kids and we have kids in in the preschool class though they they know you know mm -hmm. they don't know why they just know that kid's different and they need help mm -hmm. and we're you know and when that kid does does what they're not supposed to do we just oh they're still learning and they're like oh okay like they're like <laughs> It's like 
compared to how we grew up, it's it's so much better. It has to be. Um, so you talked about your nonprofit. We talked about your singing. Um, talked about politics. We talked about a lot. We did. Katie we, we never run out of things. We to haven't talk talked. About. We haven't talked about Graham that much. Should we share a couple. Oh, of Graham. Yeah, we have to talk about Graham. We have to talk about Graham. Our, In fact, Graham um, will get way more airtime on this podcast when it comes. But let's. She will. She will. Yeah. So Graham, as opposed to Grammy, Grammy yes. is my O'Neill grandma. Yes. Graham is our shared hate. Yeah. <laughs> um, Graham was. <laughs> I don't think she ever knew how clever and, and funny she was. Um, she had some, she she was a huge part of our childhood yes. for sure. She was yeah. a constant presence. Who lived in your house for yeah. how many years was it? It, it wasn't was, it wasn't that many years. Yeah, it was, it was it's, it's like couple a couple years yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um she lived with us for a while yeah. and um she was a widow for um, eighty three to ninety six. Yeah, for a long time, yeah. and she made it work. And she learned how to drive she when she was like what sixty something. Yeah, <laughs> yep. hard of hearing. Didn't like to use her hearing aids. No. You know the story about her crossing the border. No, tell so me. So she's one. crossing the border with my mom in the car. And in the car, yeah. and at, this is the U.S. Canada border. And they asked you a standard questions: Do you have this? Do you have that? Firearms. Yeah, firearms, mace, this and that. No, 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 no. And then they cross. And she goes to my mom, um, how come you wanted to know if we had any maids, uh, maids oh, with a D, oh, like, 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 <laughs> like house cleaners, like, <laughs> but it was mace. mace. They wanted the, the weapons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Always taught us how to play, um, rummy yeah. card game would yeah. swear at will. If we yeah. call us little shits, if we, yeah. we got the, she also like battle, battle, battle war. war. Yeah. yeah. Battle. Yeah. Loved her fuzzy navels. Her drinks. <laughs> oh no. So the, Maybe your mom should say the story. The story oh, about the Harvey Wallbanger. Yes, yeah, you yes, actually, you yes saved we'll that save that one. That's yeah. there's, a, there's actually quite a few um, uh, cocktail-related yeah, right? in Graham. Who, honest to God, she didn't drink that much. No, but, no, she didn't. And when she did, she usually had her glass of Zinfandel into which she would pour sweet and low, <laughs> which is just the most disgusting. Also, salted her McDonald's fries. No, yes. is that true? Yes. It's a miracle she lived to 82. Mow, I was going to say mowing the lawn when she was 80. Yeah. Like would just mow the lawn up in PEI. Yeah. It was good exercise. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was a force in we will hear, we'll, we will hear much more yes. about Graham. Tune in listeners yes. for more Graham stories because there are quite a few. So with that, I think we can bring the first episode to a close. Katie O'Neill, thank you so much. We were, I, we'd love to have you come back. Maybe oh. come back with another person. I don't know if, oh. I don't know if, how you feel about that. Well, I want to. I want to hear the whole breadth of your entire lineup yeah. first. <laughs> okay. I, I'm looking forward to hearing our next more episode. We have a comedian actress, Colleen McCauley, mm. who is a stand-up comic. She was in the movie Goodwill Hunting. Oh wow! So yeah, that's awesome. Um, that. Also, are, are we going with a, an entirely Irish theme? <laughs> O'Neill McCauley, yes. Yeah, McGrath, yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, I thank like you it. so much, Kate. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. Thanks a lot.